Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names, now part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is with Astrid Van Weeren, who is a Canadian actress who went to La Jolla with Come From Away, did the workshops there, and then made her Broadway debut in her early 50s with Come From Away when it opened on Broadway. And this episode, I I did not expect it to go where it went, but I'm so happy it did. At the end of it, after we got off mic, she was she was saying it was a bit like therapy, but in a good way. We we talked about um, kind of spinning off of of 9/11, of course, you know the the focus of Come From Away and whatnot. One of the last things she said about the show actually Come From Away is she was saying the story of a guy the other day that uh, came to her. After the show, and said that it, that you know he's been carrying around the sadness and this weight of of nine eleven for personal reasons for you know eighteen years now, and now seeing come from away from the first for the first time, it brought closure to him in a way that he didn't expect because you know come from away it, they say it's a show about nine eleven, but it's it's really a show. She said this is like a show about nine twelve, the day after, the few days after, where it, where. Through the midst of all these bad times, there was true selfless kindness that just happened to thousands and thousands of people because that's just what the people in the town of Gander, just that's what they did. They didn't even question it. So it's a really good interview. I encourage you all to listen completely to the end because it just goes in a direction at the end that I was not expecting. Um, but before you do, please visit me online at thetheaterpodcast.com. You can show your support through thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. And if you're a $5 tier or higher, you get advance notice of who we're interviewing. So you can actually get your questions in. Everybody, please enjoy this episode with Astrid Van Weeren. My guest today is Adora, award-winning Canadian act. No. I dare you. <laughs> I'll, give you. I'll give you 50 bucks if you do the whole interview that way. <laughs> My guest today is Adora, award-winning Canadian actress who made her Broadway debut in Come From Away back in 2017 and has now performed her role of Beulah over 1,000 times, eh? She's currently starring in the new Canadian film, The River You Step In. Astrid Van Weeren, welcome to the theater podcast, eh? <laughs> Does that mean I owe you 50 bucks? Well, you said I have to do the whole thing. Yeah, the whole like, thing. Yeah, no, you don't be, be, no. you give me 50 cents. Okay. I can do that. 50, 50 cents. 50 cents. That's right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. coming out here. Uh, I, you, obviously, uh, you're from Canada. Yes. I guess that's why yes. I probably, not politically correct, just offended somebody who's listening. They'll be but, okay. But okay, so you're from Canada. Where did you Where did you grow up? What was your, your childhood? I grew up in London, Ontario. A uh, small town, sort of in southwestern Ontario, and um, grew up to a dad who is uh, a teacher, retired now, and a uh, stay-at-home mom and siblings, and uh, very kind of like insular community in some ways, a very sort of Dutch, Christian Reformed church, kind of, you know, went to a school that was sponsored by our church and that kind of thing. So, an interesting upbringing. How many siblings did you have? I have two sisters, they're twins, and my brother. They're both, they're all three of them older than me. Yeah. All three. Okay. Yeah. So I was gonna I'm the guess baby. I was gonna guess you were either third or fourth. 
<laughs> yep. Because I think... I'm kind of both those, because I am the fourth child, but the third event of birthing. <laughs> third event of birthing? Is that even third, English? I don't third know. birthing event. event yes. in your mom's body. Yes. Sure. Um, it, and then... So was it was it was there any sort of like I'm the baby need attention that led you into Definitely. I'm sure I'm sure there was a lot of that, but my parents also um loved the theater and so I got taken to the theater and I remember going to see Peter and the Wolf and going to the Grand Theater in London and then getting involved in music, a lot of music in high school. There wasn't really a theater thing in my high school, but um yeah. I lived out in the country then. So we were um living right off the highway, and I was going to a rural high school by that point. And my best friends were my neighbors who were 65. So again, right? <laughs> my parents, yes. Wait, how, how many people were in the town? Uh, in Arva? Not very many. But everybody was bussed into the school from Lucan and Hensall and Exeter and cities that nobody's heard of who's maybe listening except people who are from there. And they're great, they're great towns. They're, they're great people. But it was a very, very small town. And I lived right with a Four-lane highway became a two-lane oh, yeah. highway, and there was nobody around us except the Jenkins, and they were lovely. They were such lovely people. So you you hung out with older people. I did, <laughs> yeah, and, and and friends at school too. But right. you know, yeah, right. Uh, did anybody else in in your family like were they involved in arts or singing or dancing or? Uh, my sister uh, was a music teacher. She's just retired recently, so for elementary school kids, and my mom would sing louder than anybody else in church. So that counts for something. Actually, my mom had, she's passed, but my mom had a beautiful singing voice and uh, was definitely, if she hadn't been a mom, she would have been a performer. She was a performer. Well, when did you first get into performing yourself? I would walk around the house pretending to do Shakespeare when I was five and I would do little, yeah, weird. I would watch, there was something called TVO, Shakespeare introduced or something like that. And I would walk around as if, as if I was, you know, I can't do it now. I was probably more I was smarter when I was five than I am now. Oh, um, kids are so kids smart. Kids are so smart. And I would do uh, shows in front of my fish pond and charge people, you know, a nickel and make a nickel. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, so, I hope yeah. you got 10 cents from your 65-year-old neighbors. Uh, at that point, I, wasn't, I hadn't moved to the country yet. So oh, I was oh. still in, a, in the suburban, you know, living on Toulon Crescent and pretending to be a Charlie's Angel and... You know that kind of thing. You have a, a an odd recollection for for street names. I, I've lived several places in my youth, and I'm trying to remember Northwest 39th Street. Maybe that was one in Bel- Belcher. Isn't anybody, Isn't everybody supposed to know the first street they lived on so they can know their porn name? Isn't there their porn name or, or like something? a security recovery question? Yes, a yeah. password recovery question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wait, I really. You yeah, really don't I, I had no idea in New Orleans where I was born. I have no idea what that street was because I left as a little one. I recently thought I was born in a different hospital than I was born in because I had to get my birth certificate for some some paperwork, and I thought I had been born in St. Joseph's Hospital, and I was actually born in Victoria you know, Hospital fact. in London. So there's a fun fact, but yeah, I totally lied to myself for years. I that's fun. I I. Um, don't have any, no one has an original copy of my birth certificate because they misspelled my middle name, the hospital did, and then crossed it out and hand wrote in (laughs) the correct version and then photocopied that and sent it home with my parents. And that's not so official. No one can find the original, but that's, 
I mean, I've got plenty of IDs and a passport and everything now with the correct spelling. So, like, I faked faked my way into the correct spelling, I guess. Wow. I used to think that my middle name is actually Kathleen, and I used to think that it was Kathleen. And I used to get quite angry if people said, no, your name is Astrid Kathleen Van Weer. And I'd be like, no, it's Kathleen. I always wanted to add an extra syllable for some reason. A flair for the dramatic. What if people called you Asterid? That I wouldn't enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) That I wouldn't enjoy. It took me long enough to get used to the name Astrid. Frankly. You don't like it? I love it now, but when you're little and you have an older brother and your name starts with A-S mm. and you can switch the I and the R in my name and make it sound like something not nice. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, brothers are horrible. I was horrible mm-hmm. to my older brother. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, was, I was researching you, obviously, for the podcast here. And you've got lots and lots of, of Canadian credits and you've done theater in Toronto and then... Well, I guess, yeah. So you were working way up in in Toronto, and this is possibly an ignorant, another ignorant thing I'm about to do. Uh, ignorant question, but in in Toronto or in Canada, do people are people into the Broadway scene? Is there an and is there an equivalent sort of like in London? There's the West End. In Toronto, right. is there an equivalent to in to, Toronto? We do have some some big theaters. We have the Mervishes. We have the Royal Alex, the Princess of Wales. Um, but there's a really thriving theater scene there. But I would say it's almost more like an off-Broadway feeling. I mean, there's really creative, innovative uh, playwrights. I've done so many different readings. And and there's a great gay theater there, Buddies in Bad Times, where I did a lot of theater when I got out of theater school. And the Fringe, there's a Fringe Festival, the Toronto Fringe. It's huge. Mm. Um, there's I don't know how many venues they have now. They have Bring Your Own Venues. So I guess it's it's limitless. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a great scene there. But there... And people love Broadway as well. I mean, we are very close to the States. I mean, we eat your culture. We, we, we watch your TV shows. I think that's one of the reasons we have so many comics that come from Canada. Because we're always observing in a way. There's a bit of distance. We're not American, and yet we speak the same language, except for French Canada. We speak the same language. We watch the same stuff. We are kind of similar political system. Not exactly, though. So it's uh, it's interesting. We're, we, we're great observers of the American culture. A little more progressive, I would say. Yeah, in some in some respects. Um, but uh, there's definitely been some swinging the other way, unfortunately, up there. For me, I mean, that's where my politics lean. So right. I'm more of a leftist socialist sort of, what a terrifying word, but socialism only in the sense that we do kind of look out for each other, which I don't think is a bad thing. No. I don't mind paying taxes if my taxes go to help somebody's needs health or, or, you know, I don't want somebody to lose their home because their grandmother got cancer. Well, that's actually something you know? that about you that I wanted to get into later, but uh, I mean, it's a good segue now that, uh, uh, you know, the role, the role of Beulah you're playing in Come From Away, yeah. and, and, like the whole town of Gander came together in, I guess, the Canadian way and just helped people in need, but, and we'll get to Come From Away, but I want to talk about you and, and you personally, like you sort of, you embody a lot of these characteristics yourself, right? Like you're very, um, like you help people that, that are in need and, and are very very th- philanthropic. Well, I, I hope so. I try. But I will say that this show, uh, Come From Away, has made me kinder. We always like to say in our company that it's taken the edges off of all of us in some ways. Because it's so easy to be cynical. It's so easy to go negative. And there's kind of, it feels almost delicious and powerful. And I'm not saying I don't sometimes go there. I love a good, you know, good gossipy tale or something. But then you do think about, well, what am I putting out there? 
you know, what am I putting into the universe? And kindness is uh, something we can all do. So I, I think that's sort of what the show is, has taught me. And that sounds so Pollyanna, but it's the truth. I look for ways to be of service during the day. And I have a better day when I've held doors for people and helped people with strollers and, you know, that kind of thing. Are you, I guess that, that to me, I, I wouldn't consider myself a, a spiritual person. Like I don't, I'm not religious, but spiritual, I guess, like I've said on this podcast before that when you're on stage and you're able to command an audience to collectively over hundreds or thousands of people simultaneously to, to travel together emotionally. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it. It's like a journey. Is, yeah, and that's, that's my version of spirituality. Mine too. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask if you were if you were more a spiritual person because yes, you talked about your mom in church at the yeah, beginning. I, I grew up in a in a very religious household, and um, I have a lot of respect for people who have that faith. I think it serves a lot of people well. I hope that they really look at the teachings of the church that are the kindness ones and kind of leave some of the Old Testament behind. Um, but for me, in a way, theater has become my church. There's ritual to it. There's community. There's um, lessons. You know, like a good sermon, you know, a, a good play. It shouldn't be preaching at you, but it reflects back to you perhaps a better way of living, even by a negative example or, you know, just thinking, oh, we're so complicated and weird and that's okay. You know, we can all look at each other as as just being on this planet, trying to do our best. Oh, God, so. I, I think it— um Last night, I, I was listening to Tanya Pinkin speak, and she, she was saying something about, um, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but th- part of the reason she loves theater is because uh, it, it allows people to experience alternative, uh, to change their emotional reactions with, without actually going through the, the literal traumas. Because the amygdala, she was getting all into the neuroscience of all of this. Like the amygdala will only evolve based on reactively. So mm-hmm. you actually have to go through an experience to then learn how to handle it next time. And so by an audience sitting through someone going through a traumatic experience, watching that on stage, they can then react to that. And they can then be, you know, be a better person based on what they're seeing on stage. So it's yeah. creating empathy. No, yes. It's like a muscle yes. that you're working. It's the same thing if you go to the gym, which I hear is a great thing that people should do. <laughs> I don't get there very often. That's not true. I actually just ran 20 minutes today. I try to run every day a little bit to get warmed up for the show. But it's like a muscle. A muscle, when you work it and work it, it gets tired, but it learns how to be stronger. And I think, not that people are tired at the theater, maybe that's not the best metaphor, but it's the same kind of thing. You're working your heart muscle. You're working your emotions and your brains. And you're thinking, oh, do I agree with that character? How would I respond and also for our show, spe- specifically, people come who have had that trauma, that 9-11 trauma, yeah. and they come and there's a chance to be together as a community and kind of purge it together. I uh, spoke with somebody the other day um, after the show. He was a first responder and he said something really beautiful that he said this closed the circle for him. Hmm. And there was something about that image that his trauma and his pain and his experience and seeing a show where he knew that there was balance in the world, that there was kindness happening somewhere else when this horrible thing was happening, created for him this, this sense of, okay, I'm a complete human being. I'm not just walking wounded. I'm, I can take all of this with me. And something about the music, and he was much more articulate than I can be about it, but it was very powerful. And that's not an unusual experience to have people come and tell us these things. It's been 18 years, and he was still carrying that. A lot of people packed it away. 
And that's what theater does too. It allows you to revisit something in a safe space together. You know, there's a kind of like we're all collectively grieving and remembering that day or learning about that day. We have a lot of young people come to our show and we're, we're in it together. We're breathing together. There's something about live theater that is extraordinary, um, absolutely extraordinary. People laugh, they respond, they, they make noises, and it's like a dialogue. It's really not we're performing and they're there. Their listening is active, and we, we feel it as performers. Well, the energy, the, the energy of the show, it's, it's seven, 90 minutes? 90 minutes long, right? Or uh, 100 minutes? 100 minutes. Okay, so 100 minutes. But no, it feels like 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, no intermission is, was yeah. my point. Nine, or 100 minutes, no intermission, and from the first downbeat, it just doesn't stop. No. And I, and I, it's, I think it's very, you know, the music and the writing and the, and the direction is all reflective of, of how frantic it must have been to go through that, to live through that. To live through being in Gander or to be stuck on a plane and yeah. you know, literally was stuck on the tarmac in Gander for And that's one of the reasons they didn't put hours. an intermission in it. It was to give people that sense. And also if people leave and they have their intermission, they start thinking about their own nine their own nine eleven stories, they start talking, and then you have to get them back mm. into your story. And because it has such a indelible print on so many people, they're kind of running that tape of that day under their own experience while they watch it. So to to release them and then try to bring them back would be would be difficult, I think. I didn't even think about that angle, but yeah, that totally, totally makes sense. I mean, it's obviously a conscious choice not to put an intermission into a show. Yeah. But yeah, that's an extra layer that I that hadn't occurred to me. Well, well, well done, creative team. <laughs> yes, they're quite um, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so how, tell me about Come From Away then. How did you get involved originally? Because you you opened it in La Jolla. La Jolla, yeah. yeah. Almost you know, I'm really bad with time. I think it was five years ago now. 2015, according 2015? to the internet. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for the internet sometimes. It's like <laughs> having an extra brain, but a dangerously extra brain, a dangerous extra brain. You know what I mean? That has lots of yeah. anonymous YouTube comments. Yes. Strange, yeah. strange, absurd, odd things on there. Yeah. But um, I know David and Irene because I auditioned for their first show, My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding. I know, say that real fast. <laughs> uh, my mother's lesbian Jewish Wiccan wedding. It's about um, David's mom's, um, about his mom and, and his mom falling in love and uh, rediscovering her Jewish roots and then getting married to a woman who was Wiccan. So my mother's lesbian Jewish Wiccan wedding. And um, I actually, I booked it, but then I turned it down and went and did some summer stock. And then the show got picked up by the Mervishes from the Fringe Festival where it was performed and then put into a bigger space. And I thought, wow, I made the wrong decision. And it was such a beautiful show and they were such lovely people. And I um, contacted the director after I heard they were going to add one female and one male chorus member. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't need to be in the, you know, carrying the show or being one of the leads in the show. I just would love to be in it. A, I want a job. B, these are really lovely people and I really dig the show. So I got to do it. So that's how I got to know them, which mm -hmm. kind of got my foot in the door to audition for uh, Chris, Chris Ashley. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually didn't book it. Really? Come from away. No, I was second choice. But it was a couple days of waiting for somebody to turn it down. Oof. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I always like to, to tell that story because I know a lot of people who listen are performers. And you just never know what's going to take you to where you end up. So you can't, you know, sometimes you turn down a show and it ends up becoming something amazing or sometimes you are that person who gets that shot. So I feel really 
really lucky to have gotten that. So you got that, and, and I mean, it's not a it's not a show of dancers, but all of you move so much. We do, and we have some. There's a funny YouTube video that uh, uh, we did for um, the Easter Bonnet, which kind of uh, tells people our experience as dancers. We did not have a dance call. I don't believe <laughs> really? that, that Kelly Devine, our, our amazing um, Olivier award-winning choreographer, uh, expected us to be quite that much, um, um, how do I say, more mover than dancer, <laughs> you know? So I think that was a bit of a surprise and there were some adjustments that were made, but she's brilliant and she worked it on the bodies that she had. And... Um, I think it's kind of extraordinary. Sometimes, again, what seemed like a limitation, I think, ended up being a big bonus for this show. Not that I don't, I don't, I know Kelly's too smart to like have, you know, done split jumps and make this a dance heavy show. But I think something about us being good movers, but not dancers, informed what's now on the stage. Oh, totally. And it make to me, it makes, it's it's part of the characters and it makes part of the show is is to see people that, I mean, I, I want to say traditionally don't look, they're not your tall, skinny, kick-to-the-ceiling dancers. Exactly. And and you guys are all doing... That's one of my favorite comments that I get, actually, <laughs> is when I remember walking along the street and a woman stopped beside me. She went, Beulah? And I was, yes, Astrid, nice to meet you. <laughs> and um, she said, oh, you you can dance. Like, <laughs> as if she was, like, really shocked that somebody of my size and whatever could move, but... I don't mind. I actually find that quite delightful. Well, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It is fun. So the 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 show itself, then. So you came. You auditioned. Well, you, that's how you got involved with the show. Went to La Jolla in San Diego, performed it there, and then obviously came to New York. Did you expect it to last as long as as it has? Um, yes. Did Strangely you? enough, because of that energy we get from the audience. Because I think this show is still building an audience in a strange way because it really is a word-of-mouth show. Because people go, 9-11 musical. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the phrase that gets used sometimes. It's really more of a 9-12, you know, musical. It's a response to a tragedy. But people get nervous about it. But as soon as they come, they want to come back and they want to bring their friends and they want to bring their family. And they want people to experience it because they can't quite explain why it's such a positive experience. Except that it's just, it is. It's so truthful. Everything in the show really happened. Mm-hmm. So there's that sense of authenticity. People are being nice to each other. There's never a bad time to have a show about kindness. And it's fun. It's, there's a lot. People are really surprised at how funny the show is. The show is very funny. And But you uprooted your life, essentially, moving from Canada to the U.S. And you've been here, like, you totally changed your life to, for this show, right? Yes, <laughs> and it's been amazing. I mean, who doesn't want to come to New York if you're an actor? Right. I mean, I can't believe I'm on Broadway. I still sometimes think I'm going to wake up from this dream. Honestly, that sounds so cheesy. I hear the words come out of my mouth, and I'm like, that is so cheesy. But to be 52 and have your Broadway debut, it also rhymes, which is cool. But um, <laughs> that's that's kind of extraordinary. And I was enjoying my life already. So it's a real... You know, I was already doing some really cool projects up in Canada and had to turn down a few things to to come and do this. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. And I thought my career might be winding down as I got older. And it seems to just be heating up, which is really cool. There's a, there's a lot. I, I feel like the late 30s to early 40s, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like for maybe for women, like if, if 
you either look like an ingenue or you look like a mom. And <laughs> there's this weird middle ground where you just kind of can't get cast. Well, I think that's changing because people are writing stuff for things that are not just moms or an ingenue. Because there's a heck of a lot more to women than mom or ingenue. Of course. You know, so it's like superhero, villainess, uh, you know, femme fatale, um, business owner, best friend, lead all of it, you know, yeah. it's, there's so many, there's as many stories as there are people. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, actually, and, and that probably corresponds to a rise in, in women in the writer's room and in the production crew. Yeah. And the creative team, right? Because they're, they're all of a sudden starting to build all this up. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a great time. It's a great time. I it's love a, it. Really, really, it's, it's a time of diversity and also different different stories being told. And who doesn't want to, nobody wants the same tropes like trotted out over and over and over again. I mean, there's a weird comfort in that, but how wonderful to be challenged and right. to be, and to be, to realize you have a movie with a woman in the lead or something. People want to see it. People go, mm-hmm. you know, box office is like, that's great. And yes, everybody's always going to love explosions and superheroes. I do. But I also like those. I just watched some, movie from, I can't remember if it was from Denmark or Sweden, and it was just this beautiful story about a woman whose uh, husband uh, left her, and she ended up becoming this soccer coach uh, in this youth center, and she knew nothing about soccer. Mm -hmm. It was one of those feel-good sort of stories, but it was so delicate and so sweet, and I just loved following her her story. I think it was called Brigitte Was Here or something like that. Apologies to the filmmaker, but I don't remember the title in English what it was. (laughs) Did you... you you did get to meet the the real Beulah, right? I spent my last vacation, my last big vacation last September in Newfoundland, hanging out with Beulah and one of my best friends, Lisa Horner, who really? plays Beulah in Toronto. How meta and weird is that? Wow! It was absolutely one of the best trips I've ever had in my life. We landed in St. John's. We had St. John's, St. John's, and we we had the best. We had the best time. We drove to Gander. We stayed at Beulah's house. Lisa tells a great story because. <laughs> Um, Beulah knew me a little better than she knew Lisa. So in the morning, she woke Lisa up. But then she, she, Lisa said, well, why isn't Astrid up yet? And Beulah said, oh, she needs her sleep. <laughs> so, so Lisa came and pounded on my door. And as she tells the story, I sort of came out all sleepy-eyed. And she was, wanted to be annoyed with me. And she was like, I just hugged her or something. And she was like, oh, jeez. You know? <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty funny. She was like, what in the world was that about? So... But all the, I, I, I talked to Chad Kimball episodes ago, and he was saying that too that, that all the cast you you're all friends with all the real people. It's a very odd and wonderful thing. It really is. It's it's, it's strange. Like it's, I guess like did, did does she come to see the show a lot still? Or I guess well, probably she, more in Toronto. Uh, she has been. Well, they've been all over the world. I mean, they've gone to England. They've gone to Australia. You know, they've gone to some of the places that the tour has stopped. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're celebrities now. It's really quite fun. Oh, that's so cool. And, and I love seeing the way they're, they're all handling it with such aplomb and, and fun and mm-hmm. also with a sense of gravity about what it's about. Like, they all, we're really lucky who represents us out there because they really, they all get it and they're all lovely about it. And they all love the show. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Recently, uh, 9-11, you know, was almost... A month ago now, does was there like a, a 
a change in the audience reaction around? Is there every it year? It becomes more it? electric. It becomes the wound feels deeper. Um, sometimes the the laughing, the laughter doesn't come as as easily right away. There's a sense of reverence that it's not that we have to break through it because that's always there ar- mm-hmm. around the story and around our our love of the story. And, and taking care of our audience that way. Like, they're in good hands as soon as they come in. They're not, as soon as you come in, it's a rural setting, and there's chairs and tables. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing frightening. And there's, you know. There's even a bale of hay on stage, right? No. Nope. No, isn't there? Nope. Oh, okay, wrong show. Nope. <laughs> That's Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know there's benches. Some, I'm there, trying to remember the set. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's okay. Show. You come back. Uh, chairs will. and tables and trees. Trees. That that was the shrubbery. That was the, That's shrubbery. the shrubbery. There you go. That I have and in trees. My head. Yeah. But yeah. no, there was definitely an electric feeling around that time. I actually took my vacation last year at that time, um, and I think it was subconsciously I didn't want to be in the city. Maybe I don't know. Also, I love September. It's one of the most beautiful fall months. So it was. The t- it, that's when we went to um, to Gander, my mm-hmm. friend Lisa and I. And we actually saw the documentary, You Are Here, which premiered while we were there. So we ended up getting to see that, which we hadn't planned, but that ended up happening. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, we, we did the day of service, which was a two-show day. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the Intrepid and we packed lunches and we sang for the people, the volunteers there. And it's just, there's a real tightening of our community during that time. I think we're all taking care of each other because there's a lot of press. There's a lot of things going on. We're all a little tired. And the show, definitely, you have people who come back. It's not unusual to like end up holding somebody as they weep. Sometimes you take them for a tour. And hmm. I remember this lovely gentleman recently who just kind of fell apart and had a good cry. And he was there with his sons. I remember looking at his sons going, you see, your, your dad's got a huge heart. You should be proud of that. And they were like, we know. their dad was an artist a composer uh, guy so I mean he already has that sensitivity but yeah you just you'd be prepared for almost anything around that week well it's hard it's hard to find someone especially around the city who who didn't experience it in some way either personally or through somebody else who experienced it like I I, I worked for a company that had an office uh, a couple floors on the top and one of the people that was my boss at the time. He was telling me the story. He was like, I was supposed to be in that meeting and I called in sick that day. And yeah. then like, you know, there was 15 people that were gone from the company that I could have been working with. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it... Life can yeah. change in a second. Yeah. Especially around here with 8 million people. Yeah. In this tiny little 12-mile island. Um, Isn't it amazing though? I mean, shout out to New York. It's an incredible city. Oh, we're resilient as yeah. hell. And people really took care of each other during that time as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always like to say islanders and islanders, right? In a way, we're all islanders here on the Isle of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. We'll add the boroughs as well because they're good peeps. So, you know, <laughs> but there's that, that, that sense of we look out for each other. We may gripe and groan about the tourists and they walk too slow and get off your phones. And we may all have this kind of like thing going on. But I think ultimately we see somebody who looks mildly lost and we are, where, where do you need to go? Yep. And we're there, and we we help and we assist. I saw, no? I saw somebody uh, yesterday morning on my way to work um, taking a picture of the subway map <laughs> in the in the subway car itself. They're taking a picture of it, and I, was, and I showed them the, the the subway map app on my phone. I was That's like, you just hysterical. need to get this app. And they were like, oh, 
Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> sometimes when you're a tourist, your brain just doesn't work. I've been a tourist at other places, and sometimes you just your brain does not work. You're on vacation, and mm-hmm. that person probably felt a little silly, I would yeah. think. Well, they're like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah ding, ding, ding. see the light going on. <laughs> um, so I want to I wanna shift over to your TV and film career. Because um, The River You Step In is a new Canadian feature film. It that, is. That you are now in. And it's going to receive its inaugural public screening at Anthology Film Archives here in New York, which is on Canadian... The, the premiere is going to be on Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Yes, and I promise it's not a turkey. So if you're looking for turkey on Thanksgiving, don't come see the show. Well, I'm, I want to ask on what Canadian Thanksgiving Day celebrates, but uh, real quick, it's October 14th <laughs> yes. at 7 p.m. Which is at, also Columbus Day here. Right? Isn't Indigenous that People's Day? Day. Indigenous People's Day. Much better. Yes. I'm gonna say that's that's a good that's a good name change. We'll take that. Yeah. Indigenous People's Day is much less offensive. Yes. Um, but so what is Canadian Thanksgiving Day giving thanks for? Uh, it's more of a harvest thing. It's not specifically one event. Actually, I probably should have researched this because I don't really know. I've just celebrated it as long as I can remember. And it's earlier than your Thanksgiving. And it's not as big a deal necessarily in Canada as it is here. I find sometimes people will come home for the holidays with their family for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and not necessarily Christmas. Does that make sense? Well, it's not like, it seems celebrating. like it's a bigger. It's not that it's a bigger deal, but it's more of a family, like your immediate family unit that you do for Thanksgiving. And Christmas, you might go to your girlfriend's family's right, place or something. Right. So you're not right? celebrating when white men give them, gave them all smallpox. Right. Okay. Right. Um, no. Although we did, Canadians, we always like to say we're, you know, we have not treated our First Nations people very well. Wow. And that actually comes up in, in our film. Um, there's some, um, the character that I, I play in the movie is a social worker. And one of the things that she is living with is the fact that she had a First Nations client that she convinced to, you know, uh, turn herself in and she ended up committing suicide or we're not sure. And that's the backstory. That's not the main story of the film. Is this based on a true story? No. It's all fiction? No, it's fiction, but unfortunately there's a lot of truth in it in the sense that there has been, um, you know, murders of Indigenous women and uh, First Nations women, and um, definitely our government has dropped the, the the ball. That's just, even just saying it like that sounds so flippant, but um, drop the ball is such a, you know, not an expression that really captures the horror of that. Mm-hmm. And um, they're an incredible... Um, incredible uh, actors that we have in our in our film. Um, there is a, a, a service that we have in in the the movie that comes up, so you find out a little bit about her backstory. But it it's it's what's propelling Stevie to try to be a better social worker. So she's kind of on empathy burnout. She's literally letting people stay at her house, and so it's kind of like you're finding her at the apex of things are about to really explode. And you get to meet some of the people that she works with and that she's trying to help. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm sure I have a much better way to, to pitch this film, but but it's just, once I start thinking about it, it just starts to kind of, I think about, oh yeah, and there's that about it, and there's that about it. And it starts to kind of unravel in my mind. I'm just glad it's done. It's out there. I'm really excited that people can come and see it. How was the, the filming process? Because you're still in Come From Away, but if you... Filming a feature film, I assume it was filmed in Canada. It was filmed in Canada between um, Seattle and Washington, so two summers ago. Okay. Um, we, we did it in, I think it was 23 days, less oh. than 23 days. It oh. was a really quick shoot. For low, for low budget, yeah, that's about yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, or was it 
13, so 13 days, 23 locations, or 23 days, 13 locations. <laughs> Seriously, some of it's a blur when I think about it, really. Well, did you... Did you leave? I obviously had to leave come from away. Did they let you out for that time? No, nope, I was in between um, between our our um, our show in Seattle and Washington. I had a little bit of time off. I actually managed in the last five years to fit in two plays, a musical, and a, and a film. I don't like to not be working. Um, and like the film was self-produced with some other people, yeah. and and uh, I helped write it as well. And um, But it's not just all me, thank goodness, because I would get sick of myself. But there's some really beautiful Canadian actors in it. So I'm, I'm glad they get a little exposure as well. The, Northern the, exposure. Is, yo, what's up? What's up, Abe? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the role... Okay, so the the role of Stevie is very again very philanthropic and and is helping others. But when you're when you were presented with the script, is it something that, or when you're presented with any script, like are you looking for something that really speaks to your heart or speaks to your wallet? You know, like obviously you want a little bit of both. Yeah. But what where where do you go when you're looking for your next thing? I, I like it to be something different and exciting, and I love working with different people. So it, it's always the people that draw me, the people in the story. So one of the plays that I did during that, that sort of off time between some of the cities, uh, I played a really horrible person. I played a politician who has a daughter who's spiraling out of control, and all, all she can think about is is her um, is getting elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh Taking care of baby was the play, and it was just—it was great to dig into somebody who was horrible as well. I don't know—I don't need to always play kind and loving people. I think it's actually really fun to explore, you know. But the thing is, those people don't think of themselves as dark and horrible. Right. I mean, that's the interesting thing as an actor. It's always just—they're trying to keep their head above water. They're just trying to figure things out. They're just trying to—they think they're doing the best thing for themselves and their family usually. Yeah. And you know, even in in the Scottish play, I mean. You know, it's ambition gone completely wackadoo. I feel like there's a lot of negativity, speaking to what you just said about people not realizing they're doing wrong. I think there's a lot of negativity because they develop, they just developed a habit of just like shooting out the first thing that comes to their mind. <laughs> and and what you had said I, very early on in this conversation about, you know, you wake up and you just, you you want to think about phrasing things in a, in a positive way. Yeah. And you get practice you you practice you practice the muscle of empathy and the muscle of of i guess you know you want to put love out there in the universe yeah. right so instead of being like that was the worst idea you've ever given me it's well you know there's some room for improvement let's here. build on that yeah, let's build on it <laughs> manager speak kind yeah. of but there's some truth to that there is some truth to that there's a lot of truth and and i really i like that i like that there are people out there that are actively combating that well, yes, and it is active and not just actively combating negativity outside of myself, inside of myself as well. So I think a lot of times when people are being negative, it's because they haven't, they don't feel built up. Hmm. They don't feel supported or heard or seen. When people feel seen or heard, they're immediately in a better position to operate from a place of positivity, you know, I think. Have you been there? Have you been like on the, the, oh, the other yeah. side? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you're, when you're a performer, there's going to be, you try not to wrap up your whole sense of self-worth in how people respond to you as a performer. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard because if it's your passion and what you love, if you put out something 
if you put something out there and people don't respond positively to it, or you don't book a gig or, you know, a director's giving you notes that you think, oh my God, I just, can I not, I can't get this. It's hard not to just feel shut down. I mean, that's one of the things I know that I would, would do instead of necessarily becoming negative or angry, I would just shut down and, and get a little paralyzed or frozen. So I kind of would have to thaw myself out again. And I have great friends and, hmm. and loving, loving people in my life who help with that. Because people say, oh, you know, you can't love anybody unless you learn to love yourself. But I just read something recently. I don't think that's all the truth of it. I think it's really hard to love if, you ha- if that hasn't been modeled for you or if you haven't been a recipient of it. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's great just, you know, to say, hey, you got to love yourself and then you can love other people. But you need to have received some love at some point. So I think a lot of damaged people or people who are negative are people who have not been seen or heard. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. And, it's all coping mechanisms that we're seeing. That's what I've learned recently in, in, in a bit of therapy is from a lack of modeling from my parents, more or less. And, it, and it's just being honest with yourself about how you're feeling and being honest with the others that you're close to. And yeah, I, I didn't have that modeled for me. And now it's, you just hit the nail on the head. And I had never fra- uh, thought about this about myself before um, in this way. But what you said a second ago about um, you get, when you, you kind of, you lose that, that acceptance mm-hmm. and then you get frozen and you have to thaw yourself out. You do. And I, I get there, a, I used to get there a lot when I was younger. So I'm almost 39 now and and actually having kids has changed me a bit because I How many kids have you got? Just two. Two. That's they're, amazing. They're four and a half and three, they're little ones. That's a fun age. I was a nanny for sort of around that age. I've done like hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of jobs and that's one of my favorite. I love kids. I don't have any of my own, but kids are really awesome. They are. They're, 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 they're constantly are. making you look at the world differently. And you find yourself, you think, how can I say the same thing a hundred times? But they giggle and laugh every time. And you find yourself doing it. And it's like, it's almost meditative. It's so super fun. Kids are <laughs> kids are simple and great and complicated I'm, all at the same time. I'm, I'm going on a tangent real quick. But most times, most evenings when I come home, my three-year-old, he comes over, he gives me a hug. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, I, you know, I, I'm glad you're home. And then he immediately... Goes upside down, puts on his, puts uh, his hands down, stands on his hands, and sticks his foot up in the air, and he goes, "I want you to swing me one time, real fast." <laughs> and that's become our thing: is that I take him to the living room, hold him by the ankles, and just swing him back and forth. It's amazing, and he's over and over and over again. That's and just, that's one of the most joyful moments of your day, isn't it? And it's so simple, just swinging. And if I don't do that, it's. It's like he starts crying and it's the end of the world. And he's like, I just want you to swing me one time real fast. Like, okay. Can you imagine okay. when he, if he's like 18 or 19 and still he just still does that? That <laughs> would be funny. I just want you to let me take the car out, Dad. Yeah. Let me go ride the subway. How, yeah, how do you ground a kid in New York City? I guess I'll get there. Um, yeah, you can't you have will. the keys. You will. You'll, oh, you'll so, get there. So what I was saying is that, yeah, uh, uh, when I would not get that validation, when I would not get what I've realized now is is a reassurance of love, you know. And I wouldn't, I would kind of externalize that in being like, I need to be on stage and I need to be in front of people. I need to talk with all this. But yeah, I would just, I would just shut down. And I used to just call it being in a funk. That's what that's what I would tell you know my girlfriends or whatever at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm just in a funk. I just want to be by myself right now. And and I would just have to, I'd have to really like 
concentrate in a way that that I would and I would second guess myself too, and I would think, well, this is this is is this stupid for me to feel this way? Well, that's the thing. We can't judge our our emotions when you're feeling like down or whatever. Like it doesn't even necessarily have to be negative. It's a it's a regeneration process. It's 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 different time. Like we if we can reframe it a little bit in our minds. Yeah. Like when I get in a funk now, sometimes I kind of, I dig in and I go, yeah, like, and I'll listen to some blues and I'll, I'll be like, I'm really down and I feel really, really sad. I mean, for some people, like I'm not trying to dismiss for some people it's major. I'm not talking about like major depression or, or anxiety. And mm-hmm. some of that's really chemical for some people. And I'm, you know, not suggesting that, you know, you should just dig in and then everybody's fine. But I think sometimes we're afraid of, the big emotions because we think, oh, that's going dark or that's going negative. But some of it's not a bad place to sit in for a bit. If we mm-hmm. don't, as long as we don't stay there, that's the danger. That was that was probably some of the best advice that Bill Hader gave me without knowing he was giving me advice. I had a conversation with him once and Bia! Bia! <laughs> um, I love him. Yeah, He's Bill, amazing. Um, I was chatting with him, and we were talking about his. He, he suffers from like legit anxiety stage fright every single time before he would go out on stage for SNL. Wow. And what he learned, what he had learned, was um, not to push it away, mm-hmm. not to to ignore it, but to say, you know, all right, all right, Mister Anxiety or Mrs. Anxiety, you're here. You're in me. I'm acknowledging you, and now, okay, move past it, or use it, or whatever it was. Or use it. Sometimes, yeah. some of those things can actually be useful. Some of the best art comes out of those moments of sheer terror or anxiety. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So without without knowing, he gave me that advice. I actually I use that a lot. I tell people this story a lot because when they'll talk about their anxiety, and of course, like on being. Uh, uh, in New York, in the theater scene, talking to successful Broadway actors, there's tons of see anxiety. that phrase alone. I hear that, and there, there's a whole bunch of things. Just what we're talking about that goes that go on at the same time. I go, wow, that's really cool. He just said successful Broadway actor. That's me. There's part of me that goes, <laughs> oh my god, when are they going to find out that you sh- don't deserve to be there? Imposter and syndrome. The, imposter syndrome. And then there's also part of me that is like <laughs> bullshit. But that's not true. I can't. That's that can't be true. Yeah. That's not my life. Yeah. But it is. So it's there's a constant sort of, you know, we're running a whole bunch of different, you know, things in our head at the same time. Yeah. 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 That's that's the what I talked to my therapist about, about the the little, you know, it's kind of the angel and the demon, right? But it's um I don't I guess I have the angel too. I the angel, I guess, is what <laughs> just the de- just the demon? Just that's a little demon. terrifying. No, I guess what the angel is is my it really is the outward projection, is is what I'm trying to live. But it's constantly fighting what you're talking about. The, the, the demon of like, well, I mean, this, we're 46 minutes into this conversation. I hope she's enjoying herself. And, I'm having a great time. And I'm hope, you know, I hope <laughs> your publicist is over there. I was going to help me. Oh, he's find, asleep. Find no, just, yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Like if people listening right now, are they, you know, should I even continue to do this? Like I have all these thoughts going through my head while I'm in the middle of having this intense conversation. And I think it's amazing for people to hear that because I think every person in the world has a lot of thoughts running through their mind all the time. And the the, the difficulty is, I mean, which one do you let win? You right. know, which, which one do you let rule you? Is and that so, the digging in that you're talking about? Like I think dig so. In some, sometimes dig in and, and see what it's about, but also, like, not to be so terrified of it. Like, 
you know, like, come on in, sadness. Have a seat for a while. Mm-hmm. How do you serve me? Am I, am I going to be kinder because I understand this grief that mm-hmm. I am feeling? Or is it like, okay, and now, you know what? On your way. I, I can't be sad for one more moment. At this, I'm going to go seek out something that's going to make me happy. And New York is great because you can go see a film. You can go see a play. Um, you know, and I know that the people will say, oh, then there's a lot of expensive things too, but there's a lot of free art. There's, I go to the galleries. I've now joined the Guggenheim, the Met, and the MoMA. And it's, it's not a lot for a year to be a member. And mm-hmm. that means I can go anytime I want and just look at some of the best art in the world and just be awed by it and inspired, hopefully. Sometimes it can make you shrink and go, oh, well, I'm never going to be that. But I don't need to be Meryl Streep. A friend of mine once said to me, a dear, dear friend, and he struggled with wanting to be something really incredible. And if he wasn't going to be the best at it, he didn't want to bother. But what kind of... I I know I'm not going to be the best actress in the world. I always have room for improvement. What happens if you... I mean, I'm I'm not Meryl Streep, but I'm working my butt off to be the best actor Astrid can be, that I can be. Oh my gosh, I just talked about myself in the third person. That sounds weird. <laughs> See, judging myself. Um, and my friend said, well, what if, you know, you're not the best? How can you be happy? But that's, I don't need to be the best to be happy. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy singing. I enjoy, you know, my my colleagues. I really enjoy my colleagues. I, we have the best cast on Broadway. Do you think Meryl thinks she's Meryl? In in so, what I mean by that is, you know, everyone's like, I've heard so many people say, "Well, I'm not Meryl Streep," but do do you think she walks around thinking, "I am the number one actor in the world"? No, who everyone compares themselves to. I bet she doesn't. I bet she thinks I could have done that scene a little better, or. I'm going to try to go and try something different. I think she's, from what I've observed of her work and stuff, she's always working things out. I don't think she has time to sit there and, I don't think, she doesn't strike me as somebody who's narcissistic or self-absorbed, only in only in so much as she needs e- ego to do her job. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we all have to have a certain amount of ego to assert ourselves. I mean, stress and tension is what keeps us, you know, holding, you know, stress and tension is a negative thing, but it's not completely because if we didn't have any stress or tension, we'd be amoebas on the floor. Right. So it's the same thing with ego. Nobody wants to be all ego, but you need some to get the job done. So I, I don't know if she would, I have no idea. It would be great if we can go in her head. Well, like Meryl, like, if like, you're listening, <laughs> please call I in. want you on the, yeah, call in. <laughs> <laughs> I want you on this podcast. We'll have Astrid back and we will do a great chat with you, Meryl. Mm. Um, but uh, let's see, you have a show to get to. So we should get to our standard closing questions that I ask all the guests on this podcast. Cool. The first one being simply, what motivates you? What motivates me? Uh, wow. Uh, kindness, trying to get it right, trying to do better kind of a meditative, let's get at that and work it out. And uh, also when I get paid, (laughs) sure, yeah. If I want to be truthful, yeah. It's nice to make money as a performer because Mm -hmm. I have many times not had two nickels to rub together. So the fact that I earn a living being an artist blows my mind. I used to actually look at bridges and think, could I live under that bridge? And And I say that with no... Uh, disrespect to people who end up in those positions, I used to think that might be me. Mm. 
when things were really rough. And I'm, I used to think, and I still sometimes will think, oh, I wonder what services are available if I need that. Or, or you know, would I, could I sleep on a subway all night? Would that be safe? These are things that I think about sometimes. Wow. So. Money. <laughs> Money, just a simple answer. Money. Um, next question then. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Hmm. Well, to my younger self, I would say, you're gorgeous. Don't You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. And love your body and take better care of it. <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, to anybody getting in the business, make sure you really love telling stories and that you really love people. And that's why you want to be in it. If it's just ego-driven and just you want to get to Broadway and that's it, that might happen for you. But once you get here, if it isn't the love of the storytelling and it isn't the love of people, you're going to have a pretty empty existence. So make sure you really, really love what you do. Someone said to me once, just remember, wherever you go, there you are. I always say that. Oh, my gosh. I say that phrase all the time. Really? Well, people will say, oh, my God, you're in New York, so everything must be amazing. It's like, well, wherever I go, there I am. So yeah. I bring all my stuff with me. So you bring your baggage. You bring yeah. your negativity or your positivity. Yeah, a bit of both, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah. So exercise that empathy. Mm. All right. So last question, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, man. What would I see? Oh, probably Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Or can I pick two? I can only pick one. Only one. Ooh, that, because you know why? Because that one's really long and there's a lot of drama and comedy in that. So Drama. Drama. Um, or Come From Away, honestly. Have you watched it? I have. I actually swung out once and I, I watched it. And it was an incredible learning experience. I think anybody in a long-running show should swing out at some point and watch their show. Because oh, it's... Fantastic. It, it was um, Tanya Pingens again uh, was saying that during previews she likes to swing out so she can watch her understudy and she and she'll like take stuff from the understudy and and work stuff back into the show like she's got some of her best material from watching somebody <laughs> else do her role. <laughs> I'd be terrified to take somebody else's bits. Not that I haven't. I'm sure there are people who are like Astrid, you've stolen some of my bits, um, but. Um, yeah, no, I, and I also went to the Toronto Company. I saw the Toronto Company's opening, mm -hmm. and they were brilliant and awesome, and mostly to support my friend Lisa, who was playing the same role. And it was a bit weird to watch somebody play the part that you've done so much, but she really made it her own and was really true to the Beulah. I'd love to go see the um, the um, West End Company, and I'd love to go to Australia and see. I, I am also a fan of my own show, which sounds a bit like, eh, but it's such a good show. I love being in it, but I'm also a fan. Yeah, well, I, I, there's a good reason for it. It's such a great show. Yeah. All right, so we can find you online at Astrid Van Weeren on Twitter. Are you on Instagram? You can do I am Astrid VW2020 on Insta. Is that what the kids say? Yeah. On IG. IG. And I, on Facebook, I mostly keep uh, just for um, like 2,000 of my closest friends. But seriously, <laughs> people I have I've actually met right. or had conversations with who are, who are friends. Right. So if, if I don't, it's nice to say this, actually, because people do send friend requests after they see the show, which is really lovely. And I do sometimes read the messages and stuff. But if I don't add somebody as a friend, it's not because they aren't a worthwhile human being. It's just I can't keep track of everyone. And it starts to make my head want to, like, well, they also Facebook also, I don't know if they still do. They used to have a, a limit. There's I think a there's a cap at 5,000. Is it 5 I'm now? not there. I've got, I don't. Well, I don't yeah, know. but if you just accepted every friend request you got, you'd be at 5,000. And then you're the real friends that wanted to request you, you can add. 
Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, very and come, cool. And come see the movie if you get a chance. Come see the movie. Yeah. yeah. And you can get more information um, at theriveryoustepin.ca, all with hyphens in it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't know why we did that. Yeah. It's so frustrating to type, but it's like the hyphen river hyphen you hyphen step hyphen in in dot ca ca yeah. because we're Canadian. So <laughs> right, eh? right. Eh? <laughs> um, maybe the review step in dot com or dot ca was already taken without the hyphen. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I didn't set that up. I'm not very technologically um, facile. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm Tact- a luddite. Tactile. Tactile. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. great with. I'm not great with the. I'm. I'm. I'm learning still more about the sock med. What do people call it? What? Social media? Oh, sock med? <laughs> did I? Did I? No, but did people don't people say that. People call it sock med. I don't med? know. I think I've heard one of the cool kids say that. Do people say that? Colgan? Do people say that? No, he's shaking his head like, no. you're crazy Canadian. You just made that up. Yeah, sock med. That sounds like, were you like a podiatrist? It does. Actually, it does. of course this is the theater podcast which is part of the broadway podcast network you can visit me and other people on broadwaypodcastnetwork.com or visit me specifically at the theaterpodcast.com you can find me online at theater underscore podcast on instagram and twitter please subscribe and if you haven't already leave a rating leave a review it helps share it with a friend this has been edited by matthew hendershot the music is by jukebox the ghost and then astrid thank you thank for coming you. on the podcast this it's has been great been so much fun it's been like therapy but in a good way yay yay <laughs> colorful hey it's leslie Odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.